So before we begin again, I just want you to know, and I, I know it's, it's hard and it's tempting because we love, we're, women, as women, we're very relational. We need to chit chat and share what the Lord's doing with us. Um, there will be time a little bit later for some of that. During these breaks, I need you to come back quickly because there's not, there's not a drop of this content that doesn't have a purpose. Okay, it's come through prayer and a desire to let the Lord speak to you through these means, okay? So what I want you to do is we're gonna, we're gonna play a song for you. And I don't want you to go to sleep. This is not a time to rest so much that you might be snoring and we'll have to shake you a little bit. But I do want you to let the song enter in and I want you to think about the lyrics. It's by Sarah Kroger. It's called Belovedness. And I want you to listen to her words and to the Lord's words to you. He smiled when he made you. He seeks to find you whatever it takes. We forget that, we don't know it. We know it when we're made and we're created. When he knit us in the wombs of our mother, Why would the Lord create the ones that would crucify him and give him up? Who does that? That's how great his love is for you, for all of humanity. He so longs to help you understand how much he loves you, that he smiled when he created you. We need to undo the lies. We need to undo the things that we carry that are not of him. They don't come from him. They come from the world, the flesh, the enemy of our souls, the brokenness of our past. The Lord longs to set you free and he longs for you to encounter him in the fullness of who he is, a true and lasting relationship. He created you to be known and to be known by him, to know him and to be known by him. He created you to be loved and to love him in return. And the fullness of what that is, Christ Jesus is not an idea He's not a nice thought. He is fully human and fully divine. He came helpless. He lowered himself to be born in a stable. He didn't come in pomp and circumstance, laden down with 
jewels and riches. He came little, humble, small. He desired to enter into the messiness of our humanity. Otherwise, he would have just come and cleaned things up and got everybody right and straightened things out. Y'all have messed things up. I'm going to straighten them out. That's not who our Lord is. He came right into the middle of our brokenness. What does that mean? That means your brokenness, your perceived limitations, your history, your wounds, your circumstances are not a barrier to his grace. Lord, Lord, we say, but in this passage he says, depart from me, I never knew you. What does that mean? What does that mean? These were his followers. They're casting out demons. They're sharing the gospel. They're very busy for him. They believe they're doing his will. And yet he says, depart from me, I never knew you. That word knew in Greek is the only, and it's, it's shared one more time in the gospel where Adam knew Eve. It's the only two places where that particular expression in the Greek is used. Adam knew Eve. It speaks of intimacy, oneness, vulnerability, companionship being seen and being loved by the other. No barriers, no walls, no self-protection. You are mine and I am yours. Adam knew Eve and the Lord says, depart from me, I never knew you. What is he asking for? He's asking for intimacy with you. He's asking to know you, the depths of your heart, and for you to know him in the depths of who he is, the depths of his heart. No barriers. How can we possibly do that? We come to church, we go to confession. Please, Jesus, go to confession. It's the greatest means. to find him and to lay our sinfulness and our brokenness at his feet. We receive him. We allow him to feed us through the hands of the priest. And he draws us ever deeper. I don't know if any of you have seen the pictures on the inside of St. Peter's Basilica in Rome. And over the main altar, it's in front of that iconic and beautiful 
uh, Holy Spirit window that we all know about, the white dove with the golden rays shining out from it. And then in front of it is this exquisite altar. And there's this structure that's over it. It's got four pillars and has a cover. It's called a baldacchino. If you think about pictures you've seen or maybe old-fashioned homes and bedrooms and castles and such, there are baldacchinos that are created over beds, particularly the marital bed. It's to denote that it's set apart, that there's something important happening, that a man and woman are joined in holy matrimony and they're truly becoming one, one in flesh, one in heart, one in spirit, one in desire. There's a reason there's a Baltikino over the altar. And that's because the Lord desires to marry his people. It's a covenantal relationship. It's not a contract. You know, one of the beautiful things is we become his adopted children. You may or may not know this, but in Roman law, in the, in the writings of the scriptures, when it talked about us becoming his adoptive children, what does that mean? Why is that important? Isn't it mean more to be his birth child? Adopted children actually means that you can't be discarded. Because in Roman law in those days, if you chose to, abort, to adopt a child, that child was yours forever. You could break faith with your biological children, but if you'd gone to the trouble to adopt a child, that child had to be taken care of by you forever. There's a much deeper relationship that's being denoted here. And the Lord desires to draw us into that covenantal relationship as his children, as his spouses, in the fullness of what that means, that we might ascend to be one with him. He desires that that journey begin here. We tend to think of, oh, I'll know God when I get to heaven. Or I'm going to shoot for purgatory and hope I don't miss because that's a hell of a backup plan. Right? Oh, I'll know him someday. That's not his desire. He desires that you know him now. Fully. How he is. Not as some distant God in a gold box. Let's read about Martha and Mary. This is from Luke 10, verse 38 through 42. Now as they went on their way, he entered a village, and a woman named Martha received him into her house. 
And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. One thing is needful. One thing is needed. Mary has chosen the good portion. She has chosen the better part, which shall not be taken from her. What's happening here? Martha's a good woman. She invites Jesus into her home. She's got a crucifix, not a crucifix. She has a cross hanging over her door. I'm making a connection to who maybe we are as good women. Maybe she has a picture, a painting of Jesus on the wall. Maybe she has a little sign that says, he's the way, the truth, and the life, follow him. Maybe she's gotten rid of those things that she knows that he doesn't approve of. Those, that clothing that isn't exactly modest or whatever it is, right? She's listening to him. She's paying attention. And she has a desire to serve. So she invites him into her home. Come in. Come, let me serve you. Now her sister, interestingly enough, is being terribly lazy. How dare she sit at the Lord's feet, listening to his words, gazing upon his face and his countenance. When I see her in my mind's eye, I see a woman completely given over. She can hardly contain her desire and her love for her Lord. She's hanging on every word. She's receiving his words into her heart. She's allowing them to ruminate and change her. And Martha's wandering around being busy. And so Martha became, becomes pretty accusatory. Jesus, don't you care? Do you not see that she's lazy? Tell her to help me. She commands Jesus, her Lord and her God, to do something. Tell her to help me. Fix her. Fix this situation. Fix my finances, fix my husband, fix my parents, fix this relationship, fix what my brother has done, fix this injustice. She begins to command her Lord to do something, and he says, you are worried and anxious. You are worried and anxious. Anxiety comes out of fear. 
Worry comes out of speculation. That's not of the Lord. Our Lord is in the here and now. Something that is hard for us to understand often is that the Lord is not in the future and the past. He's with his now. He's in this moment. When we go into speculation and worry, we've left the presence of the Lord. He's with you now. He longs to speak with you now. When we go into the past in regret, shame, this was done to me, this was injustice, I shouldn't have done it. What happened? I've left the Lord. He desires to know, to, for me to know him right now, in this moment, like Mary at his feet. She's, he's speaking. He's pouring himself out. He's teaching. He's forming and molding her like clay in the potter's hand, healing those places that need to be healed washing away that which doesn't need to be there, filling her with all that is of him. Martha, you are troubled. You are anxious about many things. She has chosen the better part, and it will not be taken from her. It will not be taken from her. This world is a scary place. We need only turn on our media, spend a little time on Facebook, Instagram, all of that other stuff, our TV, where we are fed all that is wrong. This is happening. This is happening. Maybe that virus is coming back. Financial crisis, earthquakes, whatever it is, constant feeding on our fears, on our worries, on our speculation, or feeding us with comparisons of, you need this vacation, you deserve this, you should buy this. Feeding in us that we're not enough, the Lord is not enough. The Lord says, She's chosen the better part. It will not be taken from her. When we seek to know the Lord, to truly know him as Adam knew Eve, those things go away. When we leave this earth, we will not care what the stock market said. We will not care about that moment of financial crisis or whatever is going on. We will not care about the virus. We won't care about any of that. In that moment when we leave this earth, we will care about one thing, going home to our Lord. Our entire life is not this journey to be lived and survived, tolerated, withstood with moments of prayer splattered through it. 
on occasion when the pain gets enough and we actually go to our knees and say, help me, Lord, get me out of this situation. Fix this. Our entire life is a journey towards God. Our entire life is a journey to make moments of prayer. We need to shift our understanding. We eat in order to feed our bodies that we may worship him. We sleep that we may be rested, that we may pray and commune with our God. Our houses are ordered that we might love and serve those around us to help them know our Lord and our God, that they might come to know him. We are to work in all these areas with an idea of getting towards heaven and taking as many with us as possible, of encountering him here throughout the day. St. Paul exhorts us to pray at all times. How is that possible? Well, if everything is the means of our sanctification, if everything is the means through which we find time to commune and worship him and pray and become who he's called to us to be, then everything changes. I remember when I first started this practice of mental prayer, Dan and I were married. We were both under spiritual direction. And the priest says, you need to spend time with Jesus in scripture. You need to get to know him. The only way to know him is through his word. His word is living. It's active. It's full of grace. And when you enter into it, it changes you. You change and the world begins to change around you and his grace begins to move. You can't know him outside of his church and scripture. Truly know him and encounter him. And I didn't know how to make that work because I was too busy. Busy is an acronym for being under Satan's yoke. Let that sink in. Busy is being under Satan's yoke. If you are too busy to pray, you're too busy. If you're too busy to worship, you're too busy. If you're too busy to love your God and to get to know him, you're too busy. You are worried and anxious about many things. Our busyness creates so many distractions. We don't even think of our eternal salvation. We don't even think of God because we're too busy running around. We're very good at becoming Martha's. And you'll say to me, oh, but Martha is a saint. In this scripture passage, She wasn't yet. The Lord rebuked her in love. He corrected her in love. How we pray on earth is how we will pray in heaven. 
We must understand that. Our relationship with God starts now. Our communion with our Lord starts now, not when we get there. And in the hierarchy of heaven and all the beautiful layers, there's a hierarchy. We know this through different teachings and writings out there, especially the angelic doctor of St. Thomas Aquinas, and, and we have these layers of angels, right? And so there's layers of heaven, and there's a little spot with Cindy's name on it, and there's a beautiful spot over here with Elisa's name on it, and one over here with Allie's name on it, and one over here with Julie's name on it. Wherever they are in the hierarchy of things, and you're called to that spot. And it's not going to happen by osmosis. The Lord will not save you without you. Remember this idea of the human will. St. Thomas Aquinas tells us that the greatest act we can make is that which with, with which we make with the human will. It's the greatest act we can make. We make a decision, and with our human will, we say, I choose this. It's powerful. It can also destroy us. Will we, like Mary, choose the better part? She made that human decision. With an act of the will, she said, I'm going to sit at the Lord's feet. I'm going to listen to him. I'm going to let him feed me with his words. I'm going to grow in love and intimacy with him. Can you imagine the exchange of love between our Lord and Mary as he spoke to her? Do you long for that? Or has the enemy told you you're not worthy? Has the world and your past and your history told you he doesn't want that with you? You're broken. He doesn't have anything for you. That's only for maybe the holy priests and a few nuns. It's not for you. That's a lie. It's the lie of the enemy. Prayer is the beginning and the summit of our spiritual life. Prayer is the beginning and the summit. That moment that I was prostrate in front of the Lord, and I said to him, Take over my life and I will do whatever you ask of me. That was a prayer of the heart, the rawest, realest prayer that I could utter. And it was wrapped in my tears. I didn't wait till I was perfect. I didn't wait till I was I'd gone to confession. I didn't even think to go. I didn't wait till I had it all together. I went as I was, and he met me there, 
and he answered my prayer. We need not wait. There's only one thing that's necessary for prayer, by the way. It's desire. Desire is the only thing that's necessary. Mary exhibited desire by sitting at his feet. It was burning in her heart. The Blessed Mother, through the reading of scripture and the prayers of her people, had a burning desire for the coming Messiah. You know what else is fascinating? That desire, because all that is good and worthy and holy and beautiful is made by him, that desire is his promise to you that he will bring it to fulfillment. It's a promise. We need not stifle it. We need not quench it. And, and squish it out of existence by the lies that we've heard or we've believed or we've embraced. To pray is to be with God, to gaze upon him and allow ourselves to be seen. It's to allow, to love him and allow ourselves to be loved. It requires radical vulnerability. I remember as I went through the spiritual exercises and we were working through layers after layer after layer because that's what it does. It brings everything to the surface through the prayers and the structure. And I remember having the revelation of, oh, the vulnerability that is being asked of me by the Lord is not some namby-pamby, easy vulnerability. Yeah, I'll let you be my friend. I'll let you into my life. I'll let you peek under you know, the hood of my car and kind of see what I haven't been taking care of. It's radical vulnerability. He desires that you bring all of yourself to him, all of it. And you willingly, purposefully, through an act of the will, say, I bring it to you, Lord. I open myself up in my brokenness, in my vulnerability, and I lay myself open to you, and I give you all of this. And I know it's messy, and I know it's dirty, and it's and I'm ashamed of it. He wants all of it. There's this beautiful scene in The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis. Has anybody read that book? Okay, it's a great book. It's a short book. It's about the size of a checkbook. I hope someday they make it into a movie because it's amazing. And in the final scene, I won't, well, I'm going to kind of blow it out of the water, but you, still you can still read it and enjoy it. In the final scene of that book, the gentleman, the 
the protagonist of our story, you know, that's going through all his trials and difficulties. He's standing before one of the archangels. I don't remember if they named him as St. Michael, but one of the angels of God. And one of the angels of God is standing there with like fire in his eyes and this great passion because the man is carrying sin and the sin is on his shoulder. And, this, and the angel is saying, let me have it. Let me kill it. And the sin is whispering him and it's in the form of a lizard and it whispers into his ear and says, you don't want to let go of me. You're not going to like who you are without me. We've got a good thing going. Now let me stay with you. You need me. And so there's this internal wrestle with this man and his lizard, his sin, and the angel keeps saying, let me have it, let me have it, let me have it, let me kill it. And in this split instant of weakness, of surrender, of radical vulnerability, he says, okay, you can have it. And then he instantly regrets it and tries to reach out and take it back, but it's too late. And the angel grabs it because all he needed was that split second. And he grabs it and he kills it and it falls to the ground. And it's transformed. It starts to move and through metamorphosis, it just kind of keeps morphing and it becomes an exquisite stallion. And the man himself falls to the ground and he's transformed into his glory, his glorified state. And he climbs upon the stallion and he rides up the mountain of God to be with him. It's hard to get out and to become disentangled, but our Lord desires that we be radically vulnerable with him. We need to approach God with our, hard, with our heart wide open. Why? Because he wants to purify it and heal it. Prayer is a gift. It's a radical gift. It's a beautiful gift. We can't will it into existence. He bestows it on those that are pure or have been purified. That's an act of the will. We have to cooperate. We have to dig deep and say, what's not of God? What is this woundedness I'm carrying? What is this sin that I've been committing? And so I cooperate and I ask to be purified and I ask him to purify me. And in that, he takes off layer after layer after layer of what is not of him. And we start to slowly become glorified, purified, and the gift of prayer radically multiplies. Jesus primarily desires that we reveal to him all that is within us. He wants our un-
contracepted hearts. I want you to think about that phrase. Uncontracepted hearts. What does contraception do? It says, I don't trust you. I don't trust you. I've got to keep this place back. I can't allow you in. It hurts too much. I'm afraid. You have no idea what my circumstances are. You don't know what I'm dealing with. So we turn in on ourselves. We close ourselves off. Say, I can't give you my heart. He desires uncontracepted hearts. We need to give all to him with the profound conviction, the reality that he loves us. He loves you. Is there anything that you don't trust him with? What do you not trust him with? Is it your marriage? Is it your children? Is it your life circumstances? Is it where you live? Is it your job? Is it your faith, your healing? What do you not trust him with? The word for woman in Greek is negaba. It means open, open. It's his design. It's theology of the body. Everything in us as women is built to receive, to conceive, to give back better than it came to us. When we receive in love, and return in love. A house becomes a home. A marriage begets children. A woman becomes a sister, a friend. We are creative. We're designed to be that way. What do we not trust him with? He does not desire our actions or our words. He wants us. He wants our very selves. He wants your heart. He longs for you. That song was ruminating on my heart when I woke up this morning. I haven't listened to it in weeks. And I was just kept playing and kept playing. And as I listened to it, the tears started to flow down my face. And Dan goes, are you OK? And I said, I'm more than OK. What I didn't say to him is, I can feel the Lord's longing for you. He longs 
for you. You are his beloved. Will you let him in? Will you receive him? Let's do another healing prayer before we break for Mass. Often, one of the um, biggest barriers to the Lord and to all that he has to give us is our unforgiveness. He tells us in the Our Father, forgive us. He taught us how to pray. It's the perfect prayer outside of the Mass. It's perfect, has all the elements that we need, all the disposition of heart and mind. And he says, pray like this, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. We stand before the Lord and on our judgment day and we say, Lord, forgive me as I forgive as I forgave my dad, as I forgave my mom. Forgive me, Lord, as I forgive, forgave my kid's dad or my sister or my brother or that moment. Forgive me, Lord, as I forgave myself. That's a big one. Let's ask for that forgiveness. We're going to stand in the fullness of our human will. We're going to make an act of forgiveness, but we're going to join it to the power of his holy name. And in that desire, in that commitment, he's going to meet us there. Okay? Let's pray. Bow your head. In the name of Jesus, I forgive myself for. Gather those things that you need to forgive yourself for. Put them into that basket. And anything I have forgotten. And as you hand him that basket, say, Lord Jesus, turn all curses into blessings. Restore me a hundredfold. Make me new, Lord. Purify me, Lord. And I set this free to your mercy. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We're going to take a short break. Father is available for confession. And may I just share with you, sometimes as women we need to explain ourselves. God knows. So when you go to confession, it's sufficient to say, Lord, or Father, forgive me, I have sinned. I committed these many acts of this, and 
this sin and this sin and this sin. It can be in simplicity. God knows the complexity of your heart.